0: aloha and welcome to sup fm the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere so with no further ado let's get out on the water and on with the show here are your hosts nick and simon
1: aloha and welcome to Sup FM. it's Simon here and this week we've got a member of the team missing. Nick is away and catching what looks like some fantastic waves on the Portuguese coast. But uh, I thought I'd drop in this quick introduction to this week's episode, which is a little different because it's an Ask the Expert episode. And I'd really like to say a very big thank you, uh, particularly to Maggie and the SubChat Facebook group, who contributed a pile of questions for this particular edition. We'd love you to make suggestions for our next Ask the Expert session. And you can let us know via the usual channels via Instagram and Facebook or we would really appreciate voice messages. You can leave us messages on a site called Speakpipe. And to leave a message for us, you leave it on speakpipe.com forward slash SUPFM. And the great advantage of this is that we can feature your actual voice on the episode. So we'd love to hear from you. Please leave any suggestions, any comments on speakpipe.com forward slash SUPFM. And before I introduce our main guest on this week's episode, we have this quick message. Just before we start today's episode, I thought I'd drop in a message from Mr. Jordan Wiley. Um, Jordan's doing something that hasn't been done before, which is to paddle 2,000 miles around the coast of Britain to raise money for a charity called Frontline Children, which is a charity set up to provide education and hope to children in war-torn areas of the world. And I know that that's something very close to Jordan's heart as a ex-soldier of 10 years in the British Army. Now, this challenge, this 2,000 mile challenge has had some serious challenges already with Jordan fighting against the British weather and also an unnecessary injury caused by an absolutely brainless jet skit. But we're hoping to keep you updated on Jordan's progress throughout this massive journey. But what would be absolutely fantastic from the Stand Up Paddleboard tribe is if you could follow Jordan and leave him a message of support on his expedition Instagram at The Great British Paddle. And of course, all donations would be gratefully accepted as well. And we'll continue to support him and bring you updates on his progress. So here's a message from Jordan Wiley, who's currently waiting on the beach for the weather to change and to carry on with the Great British
0: Paddle. Hey guys, it's Jordan Wiley here from the Great British Paddle. Well, it's day 24, and as you may have heard or seen, it's been quite a frustrating (laughs) week or so. We had the incident with the jet skiers off Littlehampton, uh, which caused me a leg injury. I contracted cellulitis uh, and quite some uh, severe abrasions on the lower leg, which put me in hospital for the day. Um, but now I'm back out. I'm recovering. I'm on antibiotics and penicillin. Uh, and I'm waiting in a little village town uh, in East Devon for the weather to change um, in a place called Seaton. And then hopefully I'm going to get the weather window very soon and head down towards land's end but yeah lots of progress so far 560 kilometers in uh, 24 days on the clock but only 17 days paddling uh, mainly due to adverse weather or injury um, but I'm feeling good I'm back in the game as soon as that weather window opens I'm going to be on the water it was great to see you guys down on the beach as well I can't even remember where it was now but it was somewhere on the south coast um, great stuff and I'll keep you updated as soon as I'm back on the water I will give you a shout. Thank you to all your listeners for the amazing support. Together, we are really making a difference to children's lives who are less fortunate than us. Uh, thank you again so much. Uh, incredible support.
1: So, today on SUP FM, we're having a bit of a change in format. One thing that's been really clear following all the upheaval around COVID-19 is that stand-up paddleboarding, which was growing strongly anyway, has really exploded. And every day there are more and more people who are joining the tribe. Now, new people obviously means more interest and lots of questions. And we've changed to today's format to help to answer some of these questions in a little bit more detail than they can usually be answered on a comment. So hopefully this will be of help. So now it's my very great pleasure to introduce uh, our expert for today. He's a great friend of mine. He's a surf buddy and he's the owner of uh, an organisation that's been nominated um, for the, the Connect Awards. And he's won countless local business awards. The New Forest Paddle Sport Co. He's the occasional rum drinker. Sean Scott. Sean, welcome to the Supper SUPFM podcast.
2: Thanks very so much, Simon. That seems like a quite a big intro for me there. I'll, I'll try and do my best for everyone.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm sure you will. So, just to kick off, it's, it's obviously really nice to, uh, to hear about our guest's background. So, before we get into your first experience of stand up paddleboarding, you just tell me a little bit about your experience uh, of water sports? Yeah,
2: so um, it all starts back from when I was sort of six years old, to be honest. Um, first sort of kayaking sessions out of a local reservoir for me, uh, which then built into sort of the love of the sport of kayaking. Um, finished school, didn't know what was quite to do, so did did uh, MVQs and outdoor education, which then brought me into the world of uh, dinghy sailing and windsurfing as well, which then grew into a career. Um, so I ended up having sort of, must have been nearly 10 years, sort of full-time uh, dinghy sailing, windsurfing, kayaking, uh, all based at an inland reservoir before sort of coming out of the industry for a while uh, to work in the motorcycle industry. You motorcycle raced for a while? Yeah, so uh, four or five years doing um, either club level and then international endurance level. Um, so something a bit different. Um, yeah, a little bit more adrenaline filled. Um, but obviously uh, the, the the love of the water and the cool of the water brought me back again. Um, coming back
1: to um, New Forest Paddle Sport Co., when did you first get the idea to set that up?
2: Um, so it was something that me and a mate had chatted about in a pub once, just sort of flippant comment really about how we both miss being on the water and then uh, it turned into a bad day at work in March 2015. We we decided to then open up a, a paddleboard school um, and it went from yeah, March 2015 having a bad day at work to the company being open and set up and the doors open to the public in October 2015 based down here in the New Forest.
1: Brilliant. And uh, I'm not sure whether I first met you on day one, but it must have been fairly soon after that. Yeah,
2: it was. It, it was definitely around sort of day one or day two, you were in the door. And uh, and we've been paddling ever since, haven't we? Yeah, it's been brilliant. Friday morning paddle sessions. They're, they're normally the best paddle sessions you can get, nice early morning. Exactly. And
1: uh, I think it was a good year, year and a half, we made a habit of going out every Friday, regardless of weather and conditions. And I think that was probably... Um, a result of the variety of locations that we've got in this area but uh, it did get uh, pretty cold at some points. but it was uh, it was a fantastic uh, experience and I learned a huge amount from you so now we have the opportunity to uh, share your expertise with a worldwide audience.
2: Well we'll we'll, we'll certainly give it a go.
1: Excellent. OK, right. So um, so we've had um, a number of questions. I, I very much doubt whether we'll get through all of these, but uh, they certainly represent the, the general flavour of questions that we tend to see regularly, um, certainly on Facebook and Cora. I think, I think the first thing that people tend to get quite hung up on particularly before they've actually joined the sport is um, the choice of board and we have covered the uh, what do I need to do to select a board on a couple of occasions so I don't want to go into it in too much of a sort of general way but there there have been some sort of specific questions so this one is from Charles Fisher in Pangbourne in the UK and he said any beginner's tips very welcome and would I'd be interested to know the benefits of solid SUPs versus inflatable ones for paddling. Are they a lot more stable?
2: Um, Well, yeah, thanks for your question, Charles. Um, So it all depends on the type of board you're paddling and where you're paddling. So um, some solid boards can feel a lot more stable than an inflatable board, but it does depend on the shape and the style and design, what it's designed to do for. Um, Best thing with all these things is get to your local shop or school, and have a chat, try them, see how they feel. Back to back test an inflatable and a solid of similar size. And that will really help answer your own questions rather than just uh, asking people online. That the best thing you can do with any water sport is get on there and try it.
1: Definitely. And there are dangers with asking online because certainly, you know, what I've seen is you go on asking for some advice and everyone sort of shouts out whatever paddle board they happen to be on at the time, which, um, you know, I'm sure that advice is sincerely meant, but it doesn't really help you discriminate between the different boards, does it?
2: No. And I'll, I'll try not to mention the brand that I sell and uh, use personally throughout the rest of this.
1: Okay. Uh well it's Starboard isn't it? That's,
2: that's... <laughs> yeah it is yeah. Yeah so I'm I'm a long a a lifelong fan of them. I use them for windsurfing as well as paddleboarding. So yeah, I'll uh, but I'll try not to pick particular boards and brands. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Well, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll keep it as as general as as we can, but um you know there are advantages aren't there with solid stand-up paddle boards versus um, inflatable ones yeah you just give us a quick run through the sort of relative pros and cons of the two types
2: yeah certainly so i mean the big big thing with the solid boards is you can actually create a shape so um, a lot of these companies spend an awful lot of time with r&d looking at how they can change the bottom shape the rail shapes you know you, you can really it's a sculpted work of art for some of these companies really you look at some of these boards and you think wow you know that's that's hours worth of thought and design and love and care that's been put into these boards and it's the shapes which make them better um you know you can do some really clever things with the undershapes with either v's or concaves to create a, a better paddling experience um obviously they sometimes give you more feedback through the water as well so you get a nice glide uh, with a solid board or you get more rail steer it, it, they're, they're better in every way really um but they do lack the transportability and sometimes the uh, durability of an inflatable where actually they're a uh, they're quite robust old things, the old inflatable boards these days.
1: Exactly, and, and most hires and schools, and also white water, uh, tend to use the um, inflatable ones for a reason.
2: Yes, yes. I mean, me personally, we we use inflatable on our school fleet and uh, on our hire fleet because we know that we can put them out there; they'll be safe. People won't have any issues with them. They're going to come back, and the boards will be fine. Um, every time the solid boards go out on the water they do tend to come back with a bit le- a bit less paint attached to them um, a few little chips and a few little dings where people haven't looked after them in the stony areas um, so yeah as, as as beginners and for school use uh, inflatable is definitely the way to go um, but if you've got the space to store it transport it um, you will get a better paddling experience out of a solid board
1: definitely and, and particularly for for surfing so i i, I noticed and and uh, we said we weren't going to mention the starboard, so um, let's go ahead and do it again. Um, I noticed that in their twenty twenty one range, they've got a new variation of the sprint, which is a race board, and they've gone down in width.
2: they they've broken that they've broken the magical twenty inch wide barrier.
1: That's the one. And sort of talking specifically about uh, Charles's question about stability, um, they have made um, some moves to to the sort of underside of the board in order to to make it more stable haven't they
2: yeah so the underside they've obviously changed but also it's the, the rails of the board where they have distributed the volume um creating more freeboard on the side of the board has allowed the board to become more stable so when you get more side to side roll now the board will create more stability um obviously i haven't paddled one yet i can't wait to get my hands on one and have a go on one um, so I can't give an honest opinion what it's like compared to a 2020, but um, the fact they've actually made a production board that is 19.75 inch wide, um, yeah, that's spectacular. So we're uh, we I'm, I'm looking forward to get my hands on one. Amazing. So um, I hope that answers your question, Charles.
1: I think I think the the main advice there is um, go to a local sub school or, or shop and uh, and give them a try because, like the answers I suspect to to many of these questions the answer is probably it depends really um, particularly on on what you're using it for. Right okay so we have a question from Mark who lives in the Sacramento area in California and he's uh, sent in a question saying can you talk about the effect fin size has on drag and tracking ability? How much difference does the surface area of the fin make and how do you know if you should a larger or a smaller fin?
2: Cool. Uh, yeah, really good question, Mark. Really good. Um, so the majority of boards come in quite um quite a standard fins, so very sort of classic surf shaped fin, normally somewhere between sort of eight to nine inches long, uh, which is your standard all-round board. Um, but then obviously there is a, a whole host of different fins for what you want to do. Um, personally, I've got a range of fins depending on what I'm using on my different boards. So if I'm using my, uh, my, my solid board, my, my 14-foot race board, if I'm downwinding, I tend to use a smaller fin. So that allows me a lot more control in steering the board with the wind pushing behind and controlling the surf. For flat water, though, where I want as much straight-line performance as possible, I tend to use my longer fin, which is a bit more swept back. Um, that, that tends to improve it. Um, you really notice the difference, though, when it comes to turning. So any large, long, swept-back fins very much designed for touring if you're doing step back turning and bits and pieces like that the um the, the surface area of the fin makes it quite hard to rotate the board on the spot that's where using a slightly smaller fin uh definitely definitely helps a lot more
1: and um, what about surfing sean what's the best combo for that
2: um for surfing really it, it's down to your board um so if you're so, so I, I'm, I'm very lucky in having a chance uh, the, the chance to try lots of different boards um so some are quad some are thruster uh, some we even run with just a single fin um, the longboard style boards we tend to go slightly smaller with the fins um, that allows us to sort of move around the board a bit more but also allow the board to be very maneuverable when you're using sort of 10 foot plus we don't we don't want a really big fin so we want to keep some maneuverability in the board um, obviously stuff like the, um, yeah, the, the smaller boards with the quad setup we tend to have quite small rear fins with larger sort of center fins just to really give the board a bit of bite but also give you that loose feeling on the board um again it's 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 a funny one uh we've got friends locally around here then simon will know this as well um who swear by lots of different types of fin um and they'll chop and change in different sizes and it, it all comes down to very much personal feel um you know try try different things if you can get hold of a cheaper fin rather than spending lots of money try a different size see how it makes the board feel um, and it, it's a very much a personal feeling when, when you're changing
1: them mm. And um, and just in terms of explaining sort of thrusters and quad setup, could you just run us through that?
2: Yeah, so um, obviously there's, there's plenty of different fin setups. Up, set so your, your generic boards these days, uh, most of your, your, your all rounders, uh, they'll tend and your touring boards and your race boards tend to come with a single fin. Um, so that will give you good straight line tracking and performance and stability. You then got your uh, your thruster setup, which is your three fins. You'll have uh, one larger one in the center and two smaller side bites. And then you've got your quad set up, which would be four fins, normally two larger at the front and two smaller at the back. And then you can get, uh, obviously, five fins set up if you really want to get that flash and have a quad on the outside of <laughs> the centre fin as well. Okay, I hope that answers your question,
1: Mark. And actually, I've got another one from for Mark as well. It was it was a two-for-one here, and it's about uh, paddle size. So um, some, he said uh, some like a large blade, others prefer a small blade. Is there any hard science that shows the advantage of small blade, high cadence versus large blade, lower cadence? Um, I only know the two blades I've got, but I can't justify buying paddles just to experiment. So, um, so w- what's your view? I think there's been a bit of an evolution, hasn't there, in terms of the, the view uh, of, sort of large and small blade size?
2: Yeah. Um, so over the years, it's it, it when 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 it all first sort of started kicking off, it was a case of here's your paddle, that's the size you've got. Um, and it did go down the route of very, very big, very large blades, which is which is absolutely fine if you've got the power to to pull it through. Um, but me personally as a paddler, um, I've had shoulder injuries uh, from from the bike racing, um, which then really limited me with how much distance I could do with a, a larger bladed paddle. so i've I've personally gone down the route of a smaller paddle blade, which allows a higher cadence stroke but actually takes all the loading out of my shoulders. Uh, this then allows me much more comfort on my distance paddling so it allows me a, a, a more efficient stroke it's not tiring me out so quickly um, and I, I personally go slightly smaller um, when I'm surfing I tend to use a small blade when I'm using my racing and touring boards I tend to use a medium um, the surfer I use a small because the boards are quite quite reactive and what we've what I've sort of learned uh, in the last few years and watching other people who have large blades in the surf is every time you put the paddle stroke in it's trying to turn your board uh, which is great if you you know what you're doing and you're really good and your timing's correct but sometimes if you overturn your board you miss your wave so by having a smaller board i tend to find that you can get shorter quicker faster power strokes in and then you catch the wave a little bit easier um it's very much personal preference and i'd say to mark again like a, i'll probably come back to a lot during this if you can't afford to buy blades to try it go to your local shop go to your local dealers. And just try all the different sizes. If they're if they're a proper paddle store and they really enjoy what they're doing, they're passionate about the sport. Um, they will be able to help, and they will have different sizes and different specs and different uh, flexes on the shafts. All different sizes of paddle will be available for you to try. Go and try it. See what feels comfortable for you.
1: That's really good advice. I think the other thing just to add there is um, you know with this evolution over time, a lot of the early races ended up developing rotator tough problems you know with their shoulders as a result of these um these larger blades so you know it's not a question of um, you know go large or go home i think people are taking much more conservative approach to to the blade size now and people you know use paddle strokes a bit like you know use gears in a on a on a bicycle for example you don't need to to go heavy so that's uh, that's great advice mm. okay so we've got another um paddle question here i think we've answered some of it already so this is from uh, james from the uk it says i'm thinking of taking up sup i haven't done it before but i come from a kayaking background so i have some kit already but other question about paddles is there a particular size i need i think we've answered that one there's other question is is what are the pros and cons of a split paddle so i presume means sort of adjustable paddles there what's your view on on a a fixed versus adjustable paddle um
2: yeah so i mean the majority of people will always start with an adjustable paddle whether it'll be a two-piece or a three-piece uh obviously if you've got three piece they're purely designed really for inflatables so at the end of the day you can put it straight in the bag Um, but it doesn't allow you to be able to chop and change from boards um so adjustable paddles are fantastic for friends family Give it to a friend and that you can get them ready. As a school, all of our paddles are adjustable because you can imagine the amount of people we're putting through they need to be. As a personal paddler, though, by having an adjustable paddle, it allows you to change between boards of different thicknesses. So if you've got an inflatable board, it might be six inch thick. So obviously you're going to have your paddle set slightly higher because you'll be further away from the water. If you're then paddling on a surface up, which might only be three inch thick, you're going to have it slightly shorter. It allows you to have one paddle to do it all um once you've got into the sport though and you know what you're doing and you know roughly your paddle size what you might end up doing and um i'm in a lucky position to be able to do it only my own shot is um you go down the route of getting yourself a fixed paddle because at the end of the day i know which board i use to race and tour and i know which board i use to surf now so i can then use a fixed paddle the fixed paddle's lighter it's physically lighter it also flexes a little bit better through the shaft because you've got less uh, fitments on the shaft you've got less adjustment points um, it's a nicer paddling experience but it does have that downside of you, you spend 300 odd pound on a paddle and then have to chop chop a chunk of it off with a hacksaw it's a it's a pretty pretty unnerving moment the first time you do that um so yeah most people i'd say start off with an adjustable find where you're comfortable find which board you're using and then once you're comfy you know what you're doing then go down the route of a solid or fixed
1: paddle okay james hope that answers that one so um onto boards now and obviously um the majority of people who are joining the sports at the moment are are going inflatable and obviously with us being in summer although you wouldn't notice it looking out the window at the moment um, so the first question is from kaz from new zealand and um, her question is is it okay to keep my inflatable board fully inflated throughout the year
2: um, that's a really good question, um, really good. Um, so we, we see a lot of that, and we're asked about that an awful lot. Um, the problem with leaving your boards fully inflated at the maximum operating pressure is that you don't actually have any leeway for the board to expand in the temperature. So if you imagine anything, you leave, you leave something um, you know in your car on a hot day, it's going to get really, really hot and start expanding. It's, it's the same with the boards. Um, what you will notice on a really hot day is if you pump your board up, uh, let's say 15 PSI, you put it on the roof of your car. Go out and have a go and have a coffee or something. Come back and reattach the hose. You'll notice your board's probably up to about eighteen psi. So if you've uh, if you've left your board fully inflated, this is where you can start causing damage to the internal drop stitch construction of the board. Uh, same with the the seams as well. You know, the, the inflatable boards are pressure tested to a point. They're not designed to go over that pressure test. So um, yeah. You can leave it at these lower operating pressures. So uh, for our school fleet, they're they're stored in a container, which you can imagine in the heat sometimes gets very, very hot in there. Uh, We don't want to pump them up every single day we use them. So what we do is we store our boards at 14 PSI because that then gives them a good four to five PSI range to expand and contract. And then we just pump them up before we use them. Um, You know, it only takes you a few minutes to pump up a couple of PSI with the hand pumps. That's the safest thing to do. let a little bit of air out, pump up when you want to use it. Don't just rely on it being pumped solid the whole time. And um, just while we're talking
1: about pumping uh, inflatable boards, because obviously it can be a bit of a job. What's your view and what, what's the manufacturer's view towards these um, inflation pumps that you can buy now?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, there's some really, really good ones on the market. Um, the only thing I would say with them is don't expect them to be fast. Um, it's a lot of air that you're putting in the SUP board, you know, 300 liters plus. Um, so don't expect it to do it quicker than you can hand pump it. Some people just physically struggle with the hand pumps themselves. Um, you know, when when you've got used to it and you can do it and you've got a good quality pump, we can normally pump pump a, an inflatable board up quicker than an electric pump can. Um, and just be aware that they won't like pumping up multiple boards. Uh, they will get hot, and sometimes if you've got sort of the cheaper end of the electric pumps they will they'll overheat and burn out um but there is some really good ones on the market uh, out there and if you do struggle to pump up your boards you know we do we do see that a lot with sort of le- smaller ladies especially on their boards um we would recommend yeah get get yourself an electric pump um, but yeah don't don't expect it to be the fastest thing in the world
1: so we've got another question here and this is from autumn uh, we sent this in from massachusetts so she's asked, can I leave my deflated ice up in my car during the day or should I worry about it getting too hot and possibly warping or affecting the adhesive? It's so much easier to head to the water after work rather than going home to get it first.
2: Um, yeah, I can't I can't see why not. Um, I obviously don't take that as gospel. Um, it all come down to the manufacturer and their, their building process and how well they, their boards are built. Um, but I, I can't see why that would cause an issue. Um, I know lots of people who leave their boards in the back of the cars uh, and don't don't have any problems with it. But obviously, I can't. Mm-hmm. It depends on the make of your board, though. I, I I couldn't guarantee that.
1: And I suppose if it was occasional, that would sort of reduce the risk rather than being in there day yeah, after day. yeah. And and obviously, I would imagine the temperature would be slightly better in Massachusetts than say Death Valley as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it would depend on where you are. Not in the UK here, we probably don't get the problems with overheating.
1: Mm, yeah, well, that's been really warm recently. OK, so um, so we've got a question here from Matthew about buoyancy aids. So he, he's asked a um, general question about buoyancy aids and said that he bought one, but when he fell in, it came right up to his nose and uh, was a little bit annoyed that it should fit fine, but it doesn't. Uh, that sounds to me like that's uh, a sort of... Um, a putting it on type issue. Um, what are your feelings about that comment?
2: Point are quite tricky. Um, there's no such thing as like a one size or one make fits all with them. To be honest, um, again, I'm going to come back to the go, going to a shop, actually go and physically try these things on and speak to someone who uses them day in day out. Um, during during school lessons and bits and pieces, uh, we actually make sure that all the straps are nice and tightened. They're fitted correctly and we obviously give out the right sizes for the right people um, a lot of the time though a buoyancy aid if it's not properly secured will slip up um, up towards you so it's really important have a look at how they're fastened look at which way you know is it, is it a front zip is it a side zip does it have extra tightening straps sort of around your waist can you tighten it more over your shoulders that the more you can tailor make the buoyancy aid to fit yourself the better fit you're going to have and you're less likely to find it coming up over over your face, which uh, obviously is really quite unnerving if you've never had that experience before. Um, So yeah, I I would would Mm -hmm. 100% go to your local dealer, speak to them, try them on, have a feel. If you can't tighten it up and you can stand in the shop and put your thumbs under it and lift it up, even standing still, and it's coming up to your face, it's definitely going to do it in the water. So 100%, go in, try Mm -hmm. them on and see how it goes.
1: Absolutely. It's one of the difficulties
2: of, of buying these things online. I mean, one of the bits of
1: advice which um, which I found most useful is to when you're tightening it. Well, first of all, you sort of loosen the straps and then you tighten it from the bottom to the top. So it's that bottom most strap, which is the most important thing and, the, and should ideally fit just underneath your, your rib cage, obviously, depending on your own dimensions. And then the rest is sort of just tightening it up effectively for fit.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And again, different, different ones have different cuts. So you're looking at the, you know, different, different manufacturers have slightly different styles that you'll prefer and you'll feel more comfortable in. Uh, as I said, there isn't, there isn't a one size fit all buoyancy aid. Um, it's, it's very much a tailor-made sort of thing that you you'll, you'll mm. find one brand and one type that you'll find most comfortable that you'll prefer.
1: Exactly, and and they're also um, specialist buoyancy aids for for men and women because obviously we all have different shapes. So mm-hmm. it really is worth uh, trying them on and and also keeping them on for a little while as well. Trying to sort of recreate the the type of paddle technique. It makes you look a little bit odd in the shop, but I guess everyone does it and uh, yep. just just to make sure it doesn't chafe and so on.
2: Yeah, no, we yeah we we get lots of people paddling standing on our step in the shop. It's uh, everyone's used to it now. <laughs>
1: Good stuff. Right. Okay. So that's that's a bit about equipment. So if we just move on a bit to technique and safety so this is one that I've heard very very often in fact I experienced this myself so this is from Hayley Uh, she says uh, I feel a burning sensation in my feet I can only describe it like after a night out with high heels any tips to avoid it without wearing shoes or having to drop to your knees or sitting so we'll get your tips on walking with high heels later on Sean but what about uh, what about the burning sensation when you're on your paddleboard
2: We've 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 affectionately named that one the monkey death grip. Uh, you imagine imagine hanging off that board with your feet. That's exactly what you're doing at the moment. So it, it's perfectly normal. Um, I'd say ninety percent of the beginners we teach have exactly the same sensation in the calf of your, your calf leg, uh, calf of your leg, and also in the arch of the foot. Um, what you're actually doing, Haley, is you're, you're literally gripping with your toes. Um, so when you're paddling, what's really important to do is try and loosen the toes. So try and make sure your body weight's down through your heel and the ball of your foot. Um, I, I personally, when I'm paddling, I like to give my toes a wiggle. So loosen the toes up, keep them moving. If you need to, and you really need to stretch them out, a good little tip is to pop the paddle in front of you on the board, to give you something to balance against. And gently stretch, stretch out an ankle one at a time, move your feet, loosen them up as much as possible move your feet around on the board if you can whilst you're paddling that will that will stop that burning sensation coming through your feet which slowly starts turning into cramp. so there's basically
1: tension there um through your feet i mean we, there, there's all sorts of advice people give for that some people you know and but it depends where that tension is is really coming from um uh, sometimes people sort of grip on there because they're really terrified of of falling in so It's another really useful reason for taking lessons because, you know, if you're used to falling off and getting back onto your board comfortably, then that can take some of that anxiety away as well. And, of course, the other thing, if you think about it, although you're using a paddle to propel yourself, all of the strength that you're putting through that paddle to move yourself forward is going from your arms through your core and then through to your feet. So it's actually the, the pads of your feet which are in contact with the board where all of that power's going through. So absolutely right. Just keep it uh, keep your toes nice and, and limber and uh, and flexed and uh, and I have I I experienced that sort of feeling when I when I started but
2: I, I, I still do. If if I haven't paddled for a couple of days or we're out in, in bad conditions, you know, if we're doing downwinders in sort of forty mile an hour plus winds and I'm tense on the board. Yep. You know, I, I get exactly the same feeling. It's it's it is normal. That's the thing to remember is don't don't feel it's just happening to you. When when we're out teaching and when we're doing lessons, we can physically see people gripping and we can talk to you and say, Look, we know what you're doing, we've all done it. It's nothing unusual. Just learn to just relax if you can. Move those toes, relax the feet, and just get comfortable stepping around on the board and that'll that'll all disappear for you.
1: Fab. Okay so the next question is from Jewel who paddles in Portland, Oregon and she says I'm brand new to this. Today was my third time out and I had a great time. I can only stand for a few minutes at a time but I'm finding once I get my legs to stop shaking I'm pretty square well until the boat goes by. I'm determined to be able to stand comfortably and paddle in a straight line. I'm super ziggy zaggy. Any paddling technique tricks or newbie advice i'm an experienced kayaker and boater so i know the basic rules but the art of paddling definitely is something i need to learn thanks and happy paddling so what advice have you got in terms of just keeping uh, going straight and avoiding zigzags
2: um we, we've seen a lot of that this year um lots and lots of people that have jumped on sup and just needed a little bit of fine tweaking just to get their straight line performance um The big thing normally is the top arm is not across in front of your body. So you don't have nice stacked hands. And this is where we want our paddle as vertical as possible down the side of the board. The more you can stack your hands, get that top arm nice and straight and engage the core, you'll notice your paddle blade comes in more vertical. It comes in nice and symmetrical to the water's face at the catch. And then as it dries through on the power stroke, you'll actually stop your board zigzagging. If the top arm is across in front of your body and the paddle is sort of across in front of you diagonally, then what you'll find is every time you put the paddle in, the blade's not going in symmetrically. And that will create a zigzag sensation on the board straight away from the word go. So the big trick is to get that top arm across in front of your body, really stretch out across that body and really think about stacking your hands vertically. So that's top hand above the bottom hand. Um, as a kayaker coming for paddleboarding, boarding, um, that's something I struggled with initially because I was used to having my paddle across my body slightly and obviously rotating through my core. Um, So actually bringing it more vertical was something new for me. So for a lot of kayakers, we're seeing that that is something you need to look at, is getting that top hand vertically above the bottom, stack those hands, get a nice vertical stroke and you should find your ball goes in a straighter line.
1: And there's some little
2: exercises
1: you can do yourself, can't you, on the water to um, practice that, or at least to, to test how um how straight you're paddling yep um which it would you like to run us through through one
2: of those so i mean one of the ones that we've done a few times uh for a lot of people is uh that you count your paddle strokes so really think about it just go for a little paddle to start off with however you'd normally paddle count how many strokes you can do on one side before you have to swap sides then really think about getting that top arm up and across nice and loose with your bottom hands that the top hands doing all the work And then count how many paddle strokes you can do on that one side the more vertical the paddle the more strokes you'll get on one side
1: fab and that it's amazing how that makes you focus and improves your your paddle technique
2: yeah yeah it works well the other one is to uh, try and paddle with not gripping with your bottom hand too much just putting a fingertip on the bottom hand and just try and use that top arm so vertically using that top arm to push down through the water just using that little finger on your, or, or one finger on your bottom hand, just to help guide the paddle and just get used to actually stretching the body and getting that top arm right over and get the top arm doing all the work. So, onto the next question.
1: So, this one is from Math and he's. He said, uh, anyone else really struggling to stand up? Been out four times now, but can't grasp it. I'm doing the head up, look forward, bent knees, paddle before I stand. But as soon as I stand, I'm off the board. I can kneel on choppy sea, but that's my lot. And it's the same on lake and sea. Any tips?
2: Um- Yeah, so uh, it's quite a difficult one without ever seeing you actually on a board, to be honest. Um, Big, big thing for beginners, though, um, that we teach is obviously look at the size of board you're using to start off with and where you're actually learning. If you're in an area where it's not actually flat calm, you you are going to struggle. So we we see a lot of beginners trying to get up on a board for the first time on the sea. But, you know, if you've got a little wave and a bit of a bump, it's going to make your life harder. So being on being on a lake or somewhere calm is going to help straight away. Look at the size of the board you're paddling. Realistically, for most beginners, you're looking for at least 32 inches wide to 34 inches wide to be comfortable. If you're paddling something a bit narrower, that isn't going to be helping with your balance straight away. You are doing the right things in terms of looking up, paddling as soon as you're moving. But what you do need to do is think about those nice stacked hands and really pushing down with the paddle. The the paddle is kind of a point of balance for us. So if we're pulling with our arms on the paddle, really pulling with that bottom arm, it's naturally going to be pulling your body forwards. So in a rush as a beginner to try and get moving, you tend to find people convert or they sort of go back to being like a kayaker and pulling with their arms an awful lot. And that actually makes you more and more unstable on the board. So if you can relax, take your time, push down with the paddle to give you balance and control, keep the eyes up looking forwards and try and keep the feet still and that should help with your balance
1: and, um, and it's all it, it's about planting your paddle in as well isn't it as quickly as you you're up because um, again, something that that I often see with, with um, people when they get up, first of all, is they sort of wave their paddle in the air, using it as a sort of balance aid, when the best place for the paddle to be is actually in the water, because it provides you with that additional level of, of stability, but it, it's uh, it, it, it's not intuitive, that, so it does take a little, little time to, yeah. to, to learn it.
2: And if you can, just, just go and speak to a coach, go and speak to a paddleboard school, go and find your local people, even if just an hour, you, you know, we... We've probably done the most one hour Tuitional sessions for private sessions this year That we've ever done And everyone has come off the water Suddenly realising there's a whole new love of and New skills that they didn't realise they knew People that couldn't stand up before People who were struggling on their knees To control the board All all it takes is an hour with a a coach and, And you'll be up and you'll be standing And you'll be absolutely loving it
1: makes such a difference because one of the advantages of instruction over just watching YouTube is that you do get that live feedback don't you and um, you get some proper coaching right okay so here we go so this is a um, this is a definitely a newbie question here this is an anonymous question Uh, please could you settle an argument with my mate which way round do I hold my paddle
2: (laughs) okay right which way round does he want me to say it is to make sure he wins the argument?
1: I don't know. I think we ought to give the right advice though, Sean.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I don't take bribes. Um, your <laughs> paddle is the opposite way round to what everybody thinks it is. If you're a kayaker, you will naturally want to curve it towards you. That's incorrect for a paddleboard paddle. We should always have it so that the blade face is flicking away from our feet because we use our blade by pushing it vertically down, not pulling towards us. So the flick of the paddle should be away from your feet, not towards you. I hope that's the right answer for him.
1: Um, I, I hope so as well. <laughs> so this question is from Jane uh, in Florida. And she said, I've seen people step directly onto their board from the beach and paddle off. I'm pretty certain if I tried this, the board would move away from under me and I would fall off. How is this possible to do?
2: Um, lots and lots of practice <laughs> it's going to be the simple answer to that one um it, it's very much a case of committing to your paddle stroke as soon as you're up on the board so as the board's sitting in the water as soon as that first foot's on the bo- or on the board you need to be paddling as soon as you're pushing down with that paddle you've got balance and support from the from the paddle itself as soon as you've got that first paddle stroke in you'll be able to get that second leg on keep paddling to get the, the legs back into the center of the board the big trick with that one is paddle you know if, if you just stand on it and don't do anything it is going to just push out from underneath you as soon as that paddles in the water you've got balance and stability
1: and what if I was a, a new paddler would you recommend that that's the best way of,
2: of getting on and out or no no no, no definitely not um, as a brand new paddler always launch on your knees Because uh, you don't want to be standing up and falling off in shallow water. Um, It's probably the most dangerous time on a paddleboard to be falling off is in the shallows. uh, Because your natural reaction is to put your hand out and that's when you could injure yourself. So always launch on your knees first. Get into deeper water to make sure that if you do fall over you'll be fine. Uh, And then, then get yourself up and standing from there. So next question is,
1: I'm a lady of shape and always wear my PFD but I really struggle to get back onto my board after I've fallen off. Can you help me?
2: Do you know what? That, that, that is a real regular question, um, and it's something we see all the time uh, as a paddleboard school. So you're not alone. That's completely normal. Um, what we have seen more and more and more over the years is actually uh, buoyancy aids sometimes restrict people being able to get back on the, back on the boards. Um, as instructors, sometimes we are asking people to remove them to be able to climb back on the board because we physically can't get them back on the board wearing a aid because of the restriction. What we would recommend is, um, if you are paddling in that situation, you can get the PFD belt. So uh, one, some, something like the Palms or the Reds, or I'm, I'm sure more and more manufacturers do it now, but they're a life jacket belt. So you wear it just like a bum bag on your waist. It's there all the time and you don't notice it. But if in the situation you needed that that buoyancy so let's say you fell off your board and your leash snapped and you're you're there on your own without a board to hold on to you can pull the toggle it'll inflate you can put it around your head and you will be perfectly safe and fine to your rescued. Um, that is a, a legitimate option for people who are struggling due to sort of their their body shape to get back on with a conventional buoyancy aid um, obviously without the conventional buoyancy aid on you're probably more likely to be able to climb back on the board um so we we always recommend you should have something you should always wear a, a pfd or one of these waist belts um don't paddle without one um that's that's not a good idea at all um but obviously if you are you know if you need if you need that um yeah if you are of a certain shape and size and it makes your life easier then yes take you know wear wear one of the life belts instead of a a, a conventional buoyancy head.
1: um so in terms of actually physically getting Back up there. What's the the best practice for 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 practicing getting back onto your board?
2: So, the best thing you can do is uh, go and get yourself in some water where you can actually stand, um, but you know you can you can be sort of almost fully submerged. Put your board in the water, and then make sure you're in a position that if you can't get back on, you can swim to the shore with the board. And just use it for practicing. So, just sit in the water. Then the easiest way to get on is normally one hand on the carry handle. Try and get your other arm up and across over the board. Pull your upper body onto the board, which is where a buoyancy aid sometimes gets in the way for for larger larger people. Uh, Get your upper body onto the board. Try and get one knee onto the board and roll your body onto the board. Obviously, the wider the board, the further it is to try and stretch across to the other side. So you are putting more load on the carry handle. So if needs be, you can come to the tail of the board sink the tail of the board as you're climbing on and you kind of just pull yourself up almost like a seal where you can slide yourself sort of hand hand by hand up the back of the board Um, ideally that's that's not the best solution but um practice get in the water you know go and get wet spend some time in the water just get fully submerged and practice getting on and off your board because that will give you the confidence and security to know that you can get back on when you need to
1: Thank you very much for that as you say it's a really really common question a common challenge so we are on to our final question and this potentially is quite a big one it comes from janice and she said i'm confused about what to look for when i'm looking at tides weather etc how do i know if it's okay to go out
2: That's a that's a minefield of a question there, Simon. Thanks for that.
1: (laughs) Mm, I thought I'd love a a huge bomb in there. I think just to just to um, just to sort of clarify or maybe simplify it a bit, because obviously all areas are very individual and local knowledge is absolutely key. Mm. Um, In terms of like red flags for a brand new paddler, what, say, wind conditions would you say are an absolute no no for going out in?
2: So, so for us as a school, we, we work on a quite simple sort of range. Um, so for most beginner paddleboarders uh, in sort of the areas we teach, you'd be looking at no more than 10 to 12 mile an hour winds realistically. Um, that's because we're obviously a coastal location, so we do have to be wary of that. In like an enclosed lake, you could probably get away with a little bit more wind speeds. So you could look at sort of 14 mile an hour. But it's all looking at which way the wind's coming from, what it's forecast to do, And always thinking, what if? So if something went wrong and I ended up laying down on my board and I didn't have a paddle and I'm getting blown with the wind, where am I going to end up? Um, For us, where we work locally, um, if that went really badly wrong, we'd just drift up the solar to Southampton. Um, That's obviously quite a major issue. So we would look at the wind speeds and look at it and go, you know what, 10 mile an hour, most people are going to struggle to paddle back for more than those wind speeds. So we won't take beginners out in that. Obviously, as you build up your skill level, you can go out in stronger winds. But we'd recommend doing that always with a coach and with a school. They can teach you how to change your body positioning on the board if required. It's all relative to where you are. Um, so, if you're coastal, you might find it's a lovely calm day with no wind whatsoever, and then all of a sudden in the afternoon it gets very, very breezy. Um, that's called a sea breeze effect. That happens an awful lot where we are. Um, you can have lovely mill pond mornings, but it'll be windy in the afternoon. So, as much as possible, we recommend going early mornings is nice and calmest, and late evenings as well. Um, and it's being aware of which way the wind's going. So, if you're a coastal paddler, Definitely don't be paddling in offshore winds. So anything where, you know, if, if it went wrong, you're just going to get blown across to France. That's a very, very big no-no. Um, it always wants to be either onshore or cross on. So at least it's going to blow you onto a shore, even if it is slightly further up the beach. But 10 to 12 is normally about right for most beginners. Um, Paddleboarding is really affected by the wind. So we, um, yeah, we err on the side of caution. Uh, always, if you can, paddle into the wind first, because that's obviously going to be the hardest way to go and then come back with the wind if possible.
1: So in terms of weather forecasts and so on, what services or what apps or what sites do you generally look at to to get an an idea of of wind speed and direction and so on?
2: There's so many different ones out there these days. Um, What what I'd suggest doing is speaking to a a local uh, school or shop and find out which one they've decided to start using. So we locally around here use one called xc weather um that one this year has been almost bang on with the wind speeds uh virtually every day it's it's not let me down yet um, but last year it wasn't that good so we were using another one we were using either windy dot com uh we were using the met met office uh obviously you've got magic seaweed which we use but that's not you know not great but it works okay um you know, the best, best thing to do is look at sort of four or five different ones and try and create an average from all, all the forecasts um, or speak to your local shop or local centre because they will have a forecast that they know works well for their area and they will be able to give you the information. Um, we're always, you know, if anyone's coming down the New Forest Way, you know, we're more than happy to have a chat with them about tide times, what the wind's going to do. You know, every good water shop will do that for you.
1: Thanks ever so much for answering all of those questions, Sean. I hope that's of use. Are there any other questions that you get asked frequently that uh, that we haven't covered there?
2: Yeah, so I suppose the most frequent ones we, we get asked is, um, you know, where where could I go with my kids that's safe? Um, that's that's a really big one. Will my kids be safe if I just go out on the beach with them on this board that I've bought? Um you know kids on paddle boards you've got to be a little bit careful with so we we start them off as a minimum age of eight years old but we we're putting them on specialized kids kit when they're out with their parents a lot of people this year have been buying um sort of 200 pound 300 pound boards which are like 10 foot long which are fine they will they will be okay but you tend to find some kids can struggle to turn the boards so if you're at a beach and they've gone off on the beach and they're not quite sure how to turn round. That's when things are going to start causing issues. Um, you know, please, please be aware of tides. So most of the beaches around the UK will have a tidal drift of some sort. Everyone always thinks it's in and out with the sea. It's not always. It can be uh, longshore drift where you get pulled left or right. So, you know, if you are putting your kids on boards and you are taking them out in the sea, please. Please please go out there with them. Um and, and please just be aware of what they are doing when they're on the water.
1: Mm. And and certainly when we were talking about red flags earlier on, an offshore wind should be a red flag. It's um it's not advised to go out, particularly if children are on on, on the boards on their own, if there's a offshore wind, particularly on inflatable.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, a couple of other ones we see a lot of recently, uh, people have bought their own boards and we, we've seen them down there. Um, y- your carry handle in the middle of the board isn't designed to attach your leash to. Um, so please, please make sure that you are attaching your leashes to the leash points on your boards. Um, there should be a metal D-ring fitted to the to the back of the boards and make sure you always have a leash on your board. Um, any self-respecting retailer won't sell you a board without a leash. Um, so yeah we, we, we do see that a few times people have come in and gone is this right we've taken one look in and gone no so yeah don't don't use your carry handle with your leash handle or leash point and then just to add to that if you're
1: using the uh, the type of paddle that gets supplied with a very very basic package is just to float test your paddle as well Um that's something that uh, we've come across fairly often this season because if your paddle doesn't float it can cause all sorts of difficulties can't that?
2: Uh, yeah, and there's 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 it's amazing how many of them, uh, yeah, don't float. Uh, so that that's a very good one, Simon. Actually, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, that's a really really quite key one to think of.
1: Thanks, thanks for your answers today, Sean. Really, really um, enjoyed listening to those, and I hope people have got a lot of value out of it. Just coming back to you now, you've got quite an exciting event coming up. I think later this year, it's one of the, the few races that still. Um, is still on after all the the, um, the COVID stuff. Can you just tell us a bit about your Scottish adventure?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, in a mad mad five minutes in February, I signed up for the, uh, the Great Glen Challenge uh, in Scotland. Um, so that's obviously one side of Scotland to the other in two days. Uh, never done anything like this before on a paddleboard. Um, I think the furthest I've ever done is head of the dart, and even then I didn't I didn't push myself very hard. I took it as a nice leisurely paddle in the leisure class um it looks like a stunning place to paddle um i've I've been out during the winter doing a lot of um, sort of downwind practice so we've been out in the solent uh, i think we were up to about 62 mile an hour gusts at one point that was pretty wild um Mm -hmm. but but practicing getting used to it getting used to being in downwind conditions um i'm hoping fingers crossed the race is going to be run as much as possible in downwind i'm I'm quite looking forward to hitting Loch Ness and just blasting down with a bit of a bit of swirl behind us um yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes um I'm sure the hands are going to be feeling it um, as I go through, but um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it now. And how's the training going? Uh, what training? It's it's been it's been a really busy summer. Um, my training is has uh, basically been teaching lots of people to paddleboard, um, so I haven't had a chance to get out and get any long distance paddling in at all. I've been able to go and have a play. Uh, we we went out actually the other day, didn't we, uh, to the beach? Mm-hmm. Had a little bit of a play on a, a slightly choppy day on the beach on the on the All Star and had a bit of a mess yeah. around. Um, Good conditioning. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I haven't managed to because the, this year SUP's been so big. You know, everybody wants to learn. You know, we're, we're very, very lucky to be in a position where we can teach people the sport we love uh, and try and teach them the safest way possible to get out there and, and enjoy it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're really, you know, all of us here at New Forest Paddle Sport have been really busy this year doing that. So my training for the Great Glen has gone out the window slightly. So uh, I'm going to turn up, eat lots of jelly babies and see what happens. carb loading is very important get a pasta meal in there as well then.
1: exactly exactly
2: so just before we finish off and this isn't a
1: question i've ever asked you on all of our paddles out we spent a huge amount of time on the water together where would be your bucket list of of paddle locations so obviously you know travel anywhere and money was no object what
2: sort of top two locations would be on your list I don't have any specifics to be honest i've I've never really thought about it um i'd have to say one one of the areas that i've always seen um and i I just i'd love to go and do is is sort of around canada um there's some it looks like there's some spectacular paddling around canada way um Mm. and the other one would probably be going out into like the Maldives. Maldives would be lovely somewhere a bit warm somewhere a bit chilled um yeah just just somewhere that would it's it, it would be yeah yeah i'd say either of those two would be perfect um I'm happy paddling anywhere, to be honest. I mean, our local bit of water here at Keyhaven, um, you know, I, I get out there on a sunset picnic experience and go out and chill out and enjoy it. And we get incredible sunsets and it's different every single day. So for me, it's, it isn't always where, it's who you're paddling with, why you're paddling. That, that for me is probably more important. Um, you know, that, that to me is why our sport's brilliant. It, it's, a, it's a people sport.
1: Definitely. And it's an incredibly addictive sport as well, which is why so many people have have taken to it with with such enthusiasm. I mean, Mm. people these days getting up at half past four to paddle when the sun comes up, it's almost unimaginable to me.
2: Or oh, I don't know. We've managed to five o'clock in the morning surf occasionally, so you can't you can't complain too much there.
1: <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, that's surfing. But yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, it's it's a real privilege to you know obviously to, for us for me and Nick to do this show, but just to be involved in stand up paddling and uh, and you know it's just uh, wonderful. And as you say, it's it's very very social and uh, very good to be out um, in nature. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, how do we find out more about you, Sean? If we wanted to come and um, take a lesson with you or, or buy loads of things from your shop, where, where can we find you?
2: Um, so, yeah, we're, we're based in probably the smallest little water sports shop there is um, in a lovely little village called milford on sea down the New Forest. Um, obviously, the website's the easiest way to get there um, for, for all the information that we do. Um, so, yeah, uh, www, the new Forest paddlesportcompany.co.uk um, yeah, drop us a message uh, we're, we're always happy to help no matter what as I said earlier, you know, if you're coming to the new forest and you're not sure about where you can and can't paddle, because there's an awful lot you can't paddle in the forest, give us a call, you know, the, any of the members of staff, we're, we're more than happy to help explain tides, winds, where you can launch, where you need permissions, stuff like that, so uh, yeah give us a call, or we'll drop in and say hello and we'll, uh, we'll help when we can Thanks ever so much for your time, Sean. Really, really
1: appreciate it. And and see you on the water.
2: Yeah, see you on the water, mate.